theyeshiva.net. Let's learn together a Pasuk in Parshas Gedoshim. Gedoshim Perik Chof, Pasuk Yud Zion. It's the first source in your source sheets. Ve'ish asher yikach es hachoysoi bas oviv oi bas imoi. Ve'ro eser vaso ve'hisire eser vasoi. Chesed hu v'nichrusu leine b'nei amam ervas hachoysoi gila avoynoi isa. The literal translation, if somebody takes, if somebody betrothes his sister, the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, he sees her openness, her nakedness, she sees his openness. In other words, they have relations, intimate relations. Says the Pasuk, chesed who, this is a chesed. And their souls shall be cut off in the presence of their nation, because he revealed the nakedness of his sister, he will carry his sin. This is part of what's known as the Parsha of Arias, the Parsha in Parsha's Gedoshim, in continuation to Parsha's Achiremois, that discusses all types of forbidden physical relationships. The human being and his or her siblings, parents, children, in-laws, grandchildren, uncles, aunts, relations with... Uh, with animals, relations between males and males, etc., as the Pasuk lists off in Parshas Acher with very severe consequences. The challenge and the great problem here is quite obvious, and that is that two words are used here, not used in any other forbidden relationships, which would seem to be quite contrary to the entire message, and that is, chesed hu. This is a chesed. Chesed, we know earlier in Chumash, always means kindness, benevolence, generosity, and that's the word we use today, the primary word, which comes all the way from you have it in Chumash Bereshis, and you have it throughout the Tanakh. We say every day, That's just one example of many. And here the Pasuk says, Chesed hu. So of course Rashi immediately invites us to look at the Pasuk a little differently. Rashi says, Chesed hu Loshen Arami. This is not in Hebrew anymore. The rest of the Pasuk is in Loshen Kodesh. The word Chesed here is an Aramaic 
term. Cherpa chisuda. In Aramaic, when you want to say cherpa, which means in Hebrew shame, disgrace, as we say in Yiddish ashanda, in Aramaic you call it chisuda. So when it says chesed, it's in Aramaic ashanda, a disgrace, a shameful act. And then Rashi brings from a Gemara in Sanhedrin Dafnun Ches, a different interpretation. Umed Rasha. The medrash on this pasuk is that chesed means chesed as kindness. I, what is the kindness here? Sakdrash. Im taima, you may ask a question. The first child born in the world by Adam and Chava, who did he marry? Who did he marry? <laughs> the only girl available to marry was his sister. You're telling me here. That the marriage between a brother and a sister is disgraceful and immoral. Cain married a sister. How did Adam and Chava allow this to happen? The answer is, Chesed osa mokem livnois This was a chesed that Hashem did in order to build the world from Cain and ultimately, well, Hevel didn't have a chance to get married, but ultimately Cain and then all of the offspring of Cain, and they built the world, Shenemar, the Pasuk says, Oilam chesed yibana. Tehillim, Perik, Peites, Kapitel 89 says, the world was constructed through chesed. What are we referring to? We're referring to the fact that Cain married his sister, because if not for that, the first generation of people would have also been the last generation, as there would be no ability to reproduce, so Cain had to marry his sister. So the Pasuk is answering a question. I am telling you that a brother should not have relations with a sister. So now you'll ask me, what about Cain? And my answer is, chesed hu. There it was an element of chesed. These are Rashi's two interpretations to explain the difficulty of chesed hu in the Pasuk. I'm just going to add, b'derech agaf, t'chsam seifer, here in Torah, in Torah's Moshe, t'chsam seifer adds, that the chesed here is a little deeper than it seems at the surface. He says, Oilam chesed yibana, sounds like Oilam chesed yibana, the whole world was built on chesed. And here it's really the detail that Cain had to marry his sister, so the world was built on chesed, says the chesam soifer, what it really means is a little deeper. The Mishnah says in Mesech the Sanhedrin, that kol hamakayim nefesh achas, ki'ilu kiyem oilam molei, v'chol hamaabid nefesh achas. It's Ma'abid Aylamali. If somebody saves or preserves a single life, he or she literally preserves and saves the world. And the same is the contrary. Now one sim looks at it strange. How can you compare a single life to the world? If a single life is where you were lost, first of all, you still have seven billion people left. Besides that, you have a whole planet. Besides that, you have a whole cosmos, you have a whole universe. Not Aylamala. So the Mishnah says, Nivra Adam Yechidi. That's why Adam Arishan was created as an individual human being. All other animals were created in pairs. There could be many animals. Man was created one. Why? Because, to teach you a lesson, if somebody would have come and killed Adam Arishan, so it's obvious that they killed out Olam Malay, they killed out all of civilization, there's nothing left. So the Torah teaches that in each generation you have to look at every Adam as Yechidi. That's the value and the significance of a person. And therefore, when you're looking at a person, how do you treat that person? As though you're li- dealing with oil male. So a person comes to you with a problem, with a challenge, they need a favor, they need help, they need advice, they need a loan, 
They need something. How should I treat this person? One way is, it's just one human being who may even be a nudnik. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is, it's literally oilam male. It's the world that came to me for help. The same is true every child, every boy, every girl, every human being. Oilam male, treat the person like you're dealing with something that will affect and have consequences on all of civilization, all of humanity. That is the hashkafa, the world paradigm of Yiddishkeit of Torah. Says the Chsam Seifer, that's the Chesed that the Gemara and Sanhedrin and Rashi here quoting it is referring to. Because really what should have happened is if a brother shouldn't marry a sister, so Cain should have not married a sister, the foundation of civilization should have not been based on an immoral relationship which we call today Arayas. It shouldn't have been that way. Nonetheless, it is that way. Why? Because for Cain not to marry his sister, it means Cain would have to marry a girl not from his family. That means that the first person wouldn't be created Yechidi. Adam and Chava were created together as one person. So therefore the children they had, they had Kayin. So who does Kayin have to marry? He has to marry a sister that was also born from Adam and Chava. Chazal say that Adam and Chava had Kayin, and with Kayin was born a twin sister, and then Hevel was born, and with Hevel were born two twin sisters. They triplets. And the second twin sister, Kayin and Hevel, got into a fight over the second twin sister. Rashi brings, that's why one of the reasons that Cain killed Hevel. It's not clear exactly why Cain killed Hevel. That's one of the reasons. But if Adam, Cain should not marry his sister, that means he has to have a cousin. He has to have somebody else from a different family. That means Adam would not be created Yechidi. And that would undermine the whole institution of Chesed, the way the Torah sees it. The way Torah sees Chesed is that every single person is an Oila Malay. For that to be enshrined in humanity and to really have the true substantial um, expression of it is by Adam and Chava being created literally as one person, Yechidi, automatically, that's the chesed that compels Cain to marry his sister because you're dealing with two siblings that came from the first parents because Hashem doesn't want any other first parents in order to make this statement that Lafichach Nivra Adam Yechidi. And yet, of course, Rashi is the great Pashtun, known as Parshan Dasa. He's the one who gives us the literal interpretation of the Pasuk. But both explanations of Rashi are difficult to understand. Suddenly, in a whole parsha that's exclusively Lashon Kodesh, you hakarain, you insert an Aramaic word, for what, for when? You could have said on all of the Arayas chesed who. Suddenly here we have to use the word chesed and we can't use the word cherpa. By Shechem, in, in Parshas Vayishlach, the Pasuk uses the word cherpa. Here suddenly an Aramaic term. And the second interpretation, Rashi himself says, is Midrashai. It's a drash because you have to insert a whole pilpul in the Pasuk. Ay, Kayan married his sister, the answer is chesed. So the Ramban takes issue with Rashi. And the Ramban says this, he says, I don't understand Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman writing on Rashi in his commentary on Chumash. I don't understand Rashi that suddenly here in a Pasuk of Lashon Kodesh, you insert an Aramaic word, and for what purpose? It's not like you don't have the word in Hebrew, so therefore you need a word in Aramaic. You have the word in Hebrew. Why do this and just confuse the reader for what would seem not a good reason? That's what the Ramban's question on Rashi. It's a long Ramban. After quoting Rashi's explanation that it means cherpa, chisuda, and so forth, he says he doesn't understand how it belongs there. Besides, he says the pronunciation is different. Chesed is kindness. In Aramaic you don't say chesed, you say chisuda. 
or chisud, so therefore it wouldn't even apply here according to the to the nekudus of the pasuk. So you'll have to say chesed means two things. It means kindness, but also it means ashanda, but it can't mean kindness here. So therefore the Ramban, after a long discussion, where he has difficulty with Rashi's explanation, says, v'hanochen be'enai, you see, this the Ramban, the third source. V'hanochen be'enai be'milas chesed shuhu k'mashmoy. The way I understand it is that chesed means what it means. In other words, kindness, chesed. And this is what the rabbis already in Gemara believed. You have it in Teres Kayanim, you have it in Sanhedrin, which we just quoted earlier, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that chesed means kindness, and it's referring to Kayan marrying his sister. The Ramban is going to give a different interpretation, but he's using the Gemara to show that chesed means kindness, it doesn't mean shame. Yoimar... What the Pasuk is trying to say is, The Pasuk is lamenting. The Pasuk is saying, I don't understand. How can a brother come and do this to a sister? The relationship between siblings should be one of ultimate kindness, of ultimate love, of ultimate affection of ultimate ava, of ultimate giving and generosity. How could you do something so immoral, so base, so brute, so inappropriate to your own sister? It's a powerful interpretation of the Ramban. The Pasuk is lamenting, chesedhu. There is so much chesed in, in this, inherent in this relationship. Your sister is looking to you to be here for her, to nurture her, to rescue her, to protect her. To love her, to raise her, to, to, as he's gonna to say, to ultimately marry her off to the right person. And here you come and you betray her naivete, you betray her perhaps her young age, you betray her weakness, whatever you're betraying, and you're manipulating her for your own pleasures. This, the, these words of the Ramban, I think, are very relevant in today, they were always relevant, but they're also relevant, uh, in today's times, especially recent discussions about these issues. The Pasuk is almost, almost crying. This is, a, this is a relationship of chesed. He says that's why by all other relatives it says she'er basar. That's the expression. She'er basar means a remainder of your flesh. It's part of your flesh. How can you do this to your aunt, to your uncle, right? To, to a daughter, to a granddaughter, to a niece. It always says she'er basar. By siblings, which is even closer. It's not just a relative that's a little more distant. It's mamish, your own sibling, your own DNA, as we say today. The Pasuk doesn't say She'er Basar, it says Chesed Hu. And that's why he says, Yoimar, Not that this act is Chesed. She should have been. This is, there was so much potential. The calling here is for him to be kind. He is abusing his relative in a cruel way. He should have done with her the kindness that brothers do to marry her off to an appropriate husband in the right time. Instead, he is affecting her and blemishing her and doing something disgusting with her. You want to ask something? Go ahead, go ahead. You're confused. Okay. Not sarcastic. He's lamenting. He's lamenting on the loss of of. Uh, the pasuk is saying is 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 decrying the fallen and wasted potential. Ah, huh? there is the opposite. Yeah, you can't you can't compare somebody hurting. 
their own child or their own sibling or their own parent like hurting somebody else. Not a person is allowed to hurt anybody else. But here where the relationship naturally is such a close of chesed. And this is what you're doing with it. There's a natural inherent love of chesed that's here. That's what biology calls for. And certainly that's what morality calls for. And nonetheless, what are you doing with it? You're abusing it. You're manipulating it. We all know today, huh? Doesn't say a daughter. <laughs> we have to learn it with a kavachaymer. <laughs> I guess that's off the charts. That's, it doesn't even say. That's off the charts. <laughs> it exists. We know today it exists, but it's off the charts. Ah? Huh? Yeah. 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 You mean Basbitcha? Basbitcha is listed. Basbitcha. Daughter is not. That's what I'm saying. It's off the charts. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying. And we know, we know, I mean, again, I, I, I refer to this. Today there's this, you know, there's. When people speak about child abuse, people don't realize that most situations happen within families. Siblings, sometimes parents, uncles. It's not only teachers, counselors, babysitters, that too. But I think most cases are relatives, nephews, nieces, first cousins who are welcome in the house. And that's really what the Ramban is crying that you have here a relationship that's filled with trust. And it's abused. This is the Ramban's interpretation. The Malbim comes and says that the word chesed is literal. The word chesed represents something that's expansive. Anything above the ordinary. If it's kindness, it's extra kindness. If it's cruelty, it's extra cruelty. That's the Malbim's interpretation of Chesed here. Reb Shimshin Rafal Hirsch says, in his commentary on Chumash, he says that chesed is when I behave towards somebody else with extra kindness, but then there is another type of chesed, and that is I force them <laughs> to behave towards me with extra kindness. And he says that's cruelty. If you want to behave with extra kindness to somebody, that's your choice. When you impose that obligation on somebody else to go beyond duty, that's already a wrong expectation. Right, right. So you have here everybody struggling with this Pasuk. And as we could see, even the Ramban's interpretation, which is so different than Rashi and the Medrash, nonetheless, again, it's very difficult to understand the Pasuk because it says, if he's Roya Servasa, Vera Servasa, he's Syria Servasa, Chesed who? So the Ramban is saying, Chesed who? There was supposed to be Chesed here. Not that this is chesed. There is another interpretation completely in a different realm that I want to now go over to. And that's an interpretation of the Baal Shem Tev on this Pasuk. And it's quite... It's quite... Uh, it's, as you'll see, it's quite different than all of the other interpretations. And really takes the Pasuk and the whole discussion to a different realm... I guess from the realm of Nigla to the realm of, uh, of Nister. And let's see what he says. But this needs an introduction. 
an introduction into a doctrine that is very interesting, very fascinating, sometimes a little difficult to comprehend, and certainly dearing, and can also be misconstrued, as we will see. And this is known as a doctrine that has been discussed in the early works of Hasidus, the Balshemtiv himself, his student, the Magad of Mizrich, and most of their students, both of the Balshemtiv and the Magad of Mizrich, in their Sfarim, throughout the first generations of Hasidus, bring up this issue. It's known as Ha'alas Hamidis Shal Machshavazaras, the sublimation of the emotions that exist in alien or immoral thoughts. Probably the fundamental source, the foundational source for this, or one of them is, the Toldus Yaakov Yosef. Toldus Yaakov Yosef was one of the greatest students of the Baal He was a Gon Oilam, he was the Rav of the city of Pulna. He's known as Rabbi Yaakov Yosef. And his Sefer, the Toldus, is one of the first, if not the first Hasidic work that was printed, I think, in the 1780s. And the Toldus Yaakov Yosef, in his Sefer quotes his teacher, explaining this on a few occasions. He says it quite a few times. I chose one of the sources of the Toldus Yaakov Yosef that you have here. But first, we have to learn a Gemara, and then we'll come to the Toldus. Zog the Gemara in Brachas, Daflamet Gimel, Amet Beis. The Mishnah says, Ha'aymer moidim moidim If somebody says twice moidim, moidim anachnolach, moidim twice, we silence him. We'll see in a moment why. Amir Abzayr, Abzayr said, Abzayr says, if somebody says, Shma, Shma, twice, it's like he said twice, Moedim, and we silence him. So if somebody is standing in Shul by the minion, Shma, Shma, we silence him. Meisveh, I don't understand, we learned, If somebody says Shma, and then repeats it, it's meguna, it's inappropriate, it's not nice. We're saying it's not nice, but it doesn't say you have to silence him. It's not a contradiction. There's a difference if he says each word and repeats it, or he says the full pasuk and he repeats it. As Rashi explains, if he says the full pasuk and repeats it, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad, then you silence him. But if he just says the word twice, it's inappropriate, but you don't silence him. That's Rashi's interpretation. Toysav's interpretation is the exact opposite. If he says the pasuk and he repeats it, then you don't have to silence him. If he says the word and he repeats it, then you have to silence him. So that's why in Halach and Hilchas Krishma, both views are, are brought. Now what's the problem? Let's take Rashi's view. What's the problem? If I say, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekein Hashem Echad. Don't do this. We silence this person. In other words, we're upset. This is inappropriate behavior and it's protested. It's challenged. So the Gemara says, It looks like he's accepting upon himself two deities, two gods. And then a new and therefore it's reprehensible. It's not acceptable. This is the Gemara. Comes Rav Papa and he tells Abaye, he says, I don't understand Rav What's the big deal? Why do we have to assume that he's accepting upon himself as though Kivayachal Chas Vashalom, there's two gods? Maybe the first time around, he was daydreaming. He's ADD, you're forgetting. 
He was busy thinking about his appointments. He was busy thinking about something else. He was stressed out. He was thinking about this person, that person. He got a text and he got distracted. He wasn't, he didn't have kavana. So that's why he says, He does it a second time to have kavana. Why are we assuming and giving him? Not giving him the benefit of the doubt and we're upset that he's repeating it. He wants to have kavana. What is he, a friend of heaven? He's like a chavrusa, he's a chaver when it comes to heaven? That he just speaks and he's not thinking about what he says? Is this like a casual relationship that you have with a buddy? Somebody's talking to you and you're not thinking about what they say, you're thinking about something else? When it comes to chavrusas, it happens constantly. You're having a casual conversation when it comes to friends. You're talking to me and they say, oh, I wasn't listening, say it over again. It happens constantly. But If he did not have kavona, if his mind was not focused initially on, on the words, listen to Abayah's words. We strike him with the hammer of a smith. Marzafta is a hammer, a cornice, as the Mepharshim say, a hammer. The napcha, napach is a smith. Machinan lay is we hit him, we strike him. If he doesn't have kavana, we would strike him with the hammer of a smith. Adam daite until he concentrates. That's Abaya's response to Rav Papa. Rav Papa is saying maybe he didn't have kavana. Maybe he didn't have kavana, so he's saying it again. So Abaya says there's no such a thing. God is not your friend. It's not a casual conversation. You're thinking, you're not thinking, you're distracted. If you're not thinking, we would strike him with a hammer of a smith until he has kavana. So therefore, there's no room to say it twice. Because you have kavana. So why is he saying it twice? He's saying it twice because there's something off. There's something off in his faith, in his belief system. And that's why Meshat Kinoi said, that's why you have to silence him. That's the end of the Gemara. That's the end of the Sugi in the Gemara. So the Toldus Yaakov Yosef brings, and here you have the next quote. It's quoted in Kesher Shemtiv and Simon Lametes, but the source is the Toldus. Mehabal Shemtiv, the Shamati B'Shem Moiri Zechroinoi Lechai Levrocha Lechai Oylam Haba. I heard from my teacher, or in the name of my teacher, the Bal Shemtiv. Beir Shah, he quotes the Gemara. Beir Shah's Brach is Lamed Gimel. Amen Abzei Rekolo Emeshmash Mamashat Kines. Amen Leir of Papa Labai. Dilma Mei Karalei Chavin Daite. Amen Leir Chavin Quoting again the Gemara, Vihiksha Astabal Shemtiv, Akati The question of Rav Papa was not answered. You're right. When you're talking to God, you should not be having a casual conversation and thinking about other things. But Dilma But maybe it happened. Bal Shemtiv is asking a practical question. Every person who davens, huh? Was? Were you men? Yeah. And he didn't have kavana. And now he wants to fulfill his obligation to God and be mechavan. Another question. Why did Reb Zayda choose the words shma shma and not any other pasuk in Kriya shma? Or b'chal any other part. Why is it when it comes to Shema Shema, that's what Reb Zayda uses as an example. You could say he could have asked it on any, he could have said it on any example. But that itself is precise. Why does Reb Zayda choose this example? 
So my, my Rebbe says the Talmud Sakav Yosef. My Rebbe explained. Mahu inyan kabolas malchus kabolas el malchus He starts explaining what is the concept of kabolas el malchus which is what Shema is. Shema Yisrael Hashem alekeno Hashem echad. The Mishnah tells us in Brachas is the acceptance of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? On one level, it means literally that. I have a king, I have a master, I have a creator, and I work for him, I serve him, I'm dedicated to him, I follow his blueprint for life. That's the pshat, kabbalas, al malchashem, I'm accepting the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. The Balshemtiv is going to take that and go one step deeper. What is kabbalas al malchashem? The inyan is as follows. Ki adam lahamin. A person ought to believe, The whole earth, the whole world, the whole universe is filled with His presence. No space is devoid of Him. When you say no space is devoid of Him, it doesn't mean only no physical space. Like the song, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, truly everywhere, up, down, right, left. That's true. Leisa sarponimine also means emotionally leisa sarponimine. Mentally leisa sarponimine. Psychologically leisa sarponimine. That's, that's harder. That means in every thought, in every emotion, in every instinct. Leisa sar means no space is devoid of him. Therefore, Now that's a big one. All the thoughts of a human being have within them Hashem's presence. Hashem's mitzvah, Hashem's existence. Asar doesn't only mean space geographically or space spiritually. It also means my emotional space, my mental space. Like we say, you're in a bad space, right? He's in a good space. We don't mean space, I'm here, I'm in this place, that. It means my mindset. Sometimes your thoughts are like some of you right now. Come back. <laughs> I'm just joking. But usually by a shir, there's at least somebody who's somewhere else, right? But where, where am I, not physically, physically I'm standing here. Where am I mentally, emotionally? Sometimes your machshavas are in the dumps. Sometimes they're elevated. Sometimes they're nowhere. They're just, you know, no man's land. So he says, the Baal Shem Tev says, Which means, Every thought is a koima shlema. Koima means... The full structure of a human being is called kaima. Like the full height of a human being physically is called kaima. Kaima shleima means every machshava is a whole personality. Every machshava is a whole life. Every machshava is a welt. It's a world. In how many machshavas we have a minute? People have hundreds of thoughts. Every machshava is... Why? Because leisa sar There's godly energy in it. Because meloi chalar when a person is in the middle of davening, and suddenly he experiences a machshava, which we call machshava ravazara, it's a negative thought or an alien thought. And that could mean so many different things. It means it's a thought that's immoral, promiscuous, a thought that is actually maybe even disgusting or brute. Or it's Zara, it's just completely alien and strange. He This thought is coming into the person during davening so that he can repair it, 
he can correct it, and he can elevate it and sublimate it. What that means, we're going to explain. If a person doesn't accept this, is missing the complete version of it. I could still say, God is my king, God is my boss, but this is a complete Kabbalah, it's not just Hashem is my king, it's that Hashem is everywhere and in everything. Everything is ultimately filled with divine potential and purpose. Somebody doesn't accept this, he's so to speak, he's shortening, he's diminishing, he's compromising, he's cutting off, he's shortening. The divine reality, the divine reality that invades, encompasses, permeates, penetrates all and everything. Now we'll understand the Gemara. Reb Zayrus said, if somebody says Shema Shema twice, you silence him. V'kasha, lama amar beis palmim. Why did he say Shema twice? V'tzarich loymar. So Reb Pop explains. Ki meikara lo yechaven daite. Because the first time, he didn't have the proper mindset, the proper kavanah. What was he doing when he said the first time Shema? Some alien, strange, inappropriate, or disconnected thought flew into his, uh, flew into his brain. So he's saying Shema, but he's thinking, huh? But he's thinking about a different experience, a different reality. So therefore he says, Oi, we got to do this all over again. Shema. What's his mistake? If he would have known that God was in that thought too, he wouldn't have to say Shema again because he would have realized that the first Machshava also had a divine presence. This is the preciseness, the purity, the beauty of the language of Abaya and Gemara. We strike him with the hammer of a smith. Where did Abaya get that example? Well, you're a friend of God. If you don't have kavana, we take a hammer, boom! What's a hammer? Why not a spade? <laughs> Why not an esrig? Why not a hammer? Why not an axe? And a smith's hammer, masafta de and we strike him. Now, Abaya doesn't mean literally that somebody stands in shul, maybe some people take it literally, that somebody should stand in shul with a hammer of a smith, and when he sees somebody saying, not having kavana, boom! Because probably that person will need to get the, will need to get the clap first. How much kavana is he having? Abaya is speaking as a metaphor. In other words, there's no such a thing a person doesn't have kavana. As the Bajan, why this expression? This expression is very precise. The Hainu, ha kavana is as follows. The machshava itself, that first machshava, is striking him with the hammer of a smith. What's the function of a hammer of a smith? The function of a hammer of a smith is to do what? What does a smith do? A nafach, what does he do? Huh? He molds it. He crafts it, he creates it, he fixes it, he puts it into the right shape. This machshava, this is the hammer. Meaning, This machshava is coming to repair you, to sublimate you. God is here, God is giving you a message through this thought in order to fix you. This is a hammer, the machshava is the hammer. 
What do you mean the machshava is the hammer? Machshava is machshava is it's, it's, it's weird, it's strange, it may even be filthy. That's because I'm not looking at it from a deeper divine spiritual perspective. So therefore, I'm like, wow, I am evil, and I'm running away, and I'm going to do a different Shema. The thought itself says, no, 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 don't run away. I am here, Shema Yisrael is here, Kabbalah Salmal Shemaim is here. Why is he now saying Shema a second time? As though the first time there was no God there. He looks at himself as detached. He looks at himself as dirty, as filthy. When he didn't realize that this too was part of his relationship. Because He shortens God's reality. He doesn't believe that he's really connected right now, right here in this very space. That's why you say you have to silence him. He has to change his paradigm on life and on himself, and on Judaism, and the Toldus finishes, He likes what the Baal Shem Tov says. Literally, the words that came out of the mouth of the sage are full of chen, are full of grace, which is a common expression in Svarim, especially in the Toldus Yaakov Yosef, whenever, almost whenever, maybe whenever he quotes the Baal Shem Tov, he usually concludes, With this, the Baal Shem Tov explained the Gemara, What's the Gemara? There's a whole page and a half there where Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanani is debating the sages of Athens. Savi Devei Asuna. Athens was the capital of Greece and it was the house of the capital of Greece. Athens. Huh? Okay. And the sages of Athens were the great philosophers of the time, the Greek philosophers. And Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanani was debating 60 of them. And the, and the Gemara records the entire debate, and the fascinating thing is that the entire debate is done with riddles, via riddles, which means when you read it, it sounds like extremely primitive and immature and really babyish, because it doesn't sound like there's a substantial debate. And the Mepharshim struggle to decode the mystery of the debate between Meshul and the sages of Athens. You have the Marsha decoding it. You have a whole volume of the Vilna gone decoding the metaphors. You have Reb Nachman of Breslov and Lekutei Maharan, Ketusha Slevi, earlier you have from the Maharal, and I said the Maharsha, a lot of Svarim, the Ben Ishchai, tried to decode these, these, uh, these exchanges. Here is one of them. They asked Rabbi Yishob Hananya, Ritzutza demis, Mehecha nofik ruche, Opidish Rashi, Efroyach Shemez Bekliposa. If a chick dies when it's still in the egg, where does its spirit leave from? <laughs> you ever had that question? Where does its spirit leave from? The soul of the chick, where does it go out from? The egg is sealed. And with this, they try to disprove Judaism. They're like, wow, we won. So Bishop Hananya says, The same way it went in, that's the same way it went out. <laughs> you hear a question, you hear an answer. Where did it leave from? The same way it got in. The soul got into the chick in the egg. The egg was also sealed. When the hen lays an egg, the egg is closed up and the soul got in somehow. The soul got in. It came out. <laughs> it went out when the chick dies. That's the debate. Ostensibly, doesn't seem to be here uh, any substance, but this is really a debate about some of the Yisoidists of Yiddishkeit versus Greek philosophy. That's what the commentators struggle with. What are they trying to do? And there's a bunch of questions and answers, exchanges between the two, between Rabbi Shobah and the Athens the sages of Athens, on this, in this style. What's the meaning of this? 
Va'amar. So the Vashas is at Sarukh Bir. This piece of Shas needs explanation. Va'amar al Pishas de Brachis Pere Karaya. So the Baal Tov explained this based on another Gemara. What's the other Gemara? In Perik Haraya, this is the last, the end of Masech Brachas. The Gemara says, Haraya Beitzim Bachaloim. If somebody sees uh, eggs in the dream, and then the Gemara continues, Nishtabru, if he sees that the eggs broke, Nasis Bakashasai. The Gemara basically says there that Beitzah, uh, Beitzah, represents tefillah. If somebody sees uh, eggs in the dream, he's praying, and if the eggs broke, his prayers got fulfilled. Beitzah, the Gemara explains the Beitzah, we say beya. Beya means boy, you want, you desire, you pray. So the beya represents a form of bakasha, a form of davening. That's clear from the Gemara. So now we come back to the Gemara in Chayrus. There's no thought that doesn't have within it a full life, a full kaima. It's like a full person. There's a soul in the thought. Even a negative or alien machshava that comes into a person, it's not just some fluky thought that flew into you, but meaningless. It has a kaima shlema, it has a divine soul in it. And it's coming to repair you and to sublimate you and by you repairing it. So if the person just rejects the thought, he may be killing a, a, a being, a soul. Because this thought has a very powerful divine energy in it that you're just throwing away. But sometimes there is a thought that you have to reject. How do I know which machshava to be brutal, throw it away, and which machshava to be mekarev, to bring in? The person should be contemplate. If when the thought comes into him, he immediately experienced another thought of how he could make good of it, how he could repair this thought, how he could sublimate this thought, how he could reveal God in this thought, then embrace it. But if he doesn't have a way to repair it, then it came probably to confuse the person and take him away from his davening. Then you have permission, even though God is in this thought too. But if somebody comes to kill you, you have to kill you first. In other words, he's going to kill you. So if he's, this thought is going to destroy you morally. So therefore, I'm not telling you that this thought is not a person. I'm just telling you, because that's what God wants from you right now. You're not in the position to be able to invite this machshava and make good of it. Basically, it's going to kill you. So now the question is, who gets killed first? Your responsibility as a Jew is to retain your spiritual life and connection. This was the question. A chick that dies, where does its spirit go out? From Kaloyma. The thought that comes in during your davening, which is called an egg, that thought is the chick. 
It's the chicken, the egg, it's the life inside the davening. Now sometimes you let the chick emerge. You let the egg hatch and the chick comes out and you have a whole life. Sometimes you say, kill it in the egg. Kill it right away. He says, this machshava, the mis which dies, it has a soul. And you're like, arise, out, I'm not dealing with you. So basically you kill it. You look at it as a dead thing. You don't want to deal with it. You look at it as just evil and negative. You don't see God there. It's not a question of how. It's how. Not a question of how, but how. <laughs> not as how, but how. How do you do this? You just told me, Shma, Shma. Because you're not mekabel real ol malchus shamayim. Or meshani, mehecha de ol nafik. The same way he came in, he goes out. Kemoi, what does this mean? Meheche the all nafik means kemoi shaala machshava leval belas adam belitchaisai kach nafik rishus adam litchaisa machshava ulahoitzi oisa v'zau shamar meheche the all nafik v'divre pi chacham chein. Meaning, the question is how it came into your mind. That's how it goes out. If it came into your mind. And it was inviting itself to be repaired and sublimated. Why? Because you had the method, the method, the mechanism to repair it. Then embrace it. But, when it came into your mind, and its entire message is just to destroy you, to disturb you, to distract you, to take you away from your relationship with Hashem, then that's how it has to leave. That is its message to you. Its message to you is basically a test for you to overcome, and for you to say, this is not where I'm going right now. It came in for that reason, and therefore you could send it away for that reason. So it all has to do with what happens in my machshava right after this machshava zara. This is how he explains the Gemara in Brachas, Daflamid Gimel, Reb of Papa and Abaya. The Gemara in Bchayrus with the egg, it's two types of Machshava Zoris, based on the Gemara in Brachas, also at the end with what an egg represents, Haraya Beitzah Let's now take this a step further. What does this mean? What do I do with the Machshava Zara? What does this mean? On this we come now to another Sefer, Degel Machine Ephraim. The Balshemtiv had a grandson, Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim, Reb Moshe Chaim Ephraim, of the city of Sedlikov in the Ukraine, wrote a classic work, Degel Machin Ephraim. He was a grandson of the Balshemtiv, a daughter of a son of his daughter, Rebetzin Adl. He's buried right near his grandfather in Mezhebush in the Ukraine. He passed away, I think, Tovkov Samach, um, eighteen hundred. Degel Machin Ephraim, Emes, Le'erech, yeah, somewhere in that millennium. Okay. And the Degel Machen Ephraim Parsha Shmois has a shtickle. Let's see what he says. Quite a piece. Zog the Heilik Degel Machen Ephraim, Vayera Malach, Vayar Malach, Vayera, Vayara, Vayera. Okay. Vayera Malach Hashem, may love Belabas Eshmitoy Hasna, Vayomer Osurun of Eres, Amara God Lazema Duelo Yiverasna. Vayar Hashem kisar lidis vayikre lo velikimitoy chasne vayoymer shalno lechem al raglecha kamakim ashatoymed lovad maskaydushu vayoymer anoichi lekei Avram lekei Yitzchak lekei Yaakov. We all know this moment. Moshe is standing in front of the burning thorn bush, and the bush is not being consumed by the flames. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu says, let me go close and see this great sight. Why is the bush not being consumed by the flames? Hashem sees that he came over. He calls out from the snake, says, take your shoes off your feet, you're standing on holy ground. And Hashem says, I am the God of your father, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. All of Chazal and all of the Mepharshim want to understand what is the meaning of this revelation of this encounter. To put it in different words, throughout Sefer Bereshis, the Rebbeinu Shaloylam reveals himself to many people. From Adam to Noach, from Cain to Avimelech, from Lavan to Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. It's never with all this drama of a burning bush. He speaks to them. How he speaks to them, I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Moshe Rabbeinu suddenly has this new experience. What is the meaning? Says the Degel Machin Ephraim, Yeshloi Mar Bazem HaShachanani Hashem Bimei Churfi Beracham of a Beroiv Chasadov Alpi Mashashamati Meadoini Ovi Skeini Zichroinu Levrocha Lechayo Elam I'm going to share what I came up with when I was a young man. Bimei Churfi means in the days of my winter. When I was still growing, not when I matured and I grew up. This is when I was young with his great compassion based on what I heard from my Zayda from the Baal Shem Tov. Here we go. All alien thoughts that come to a human being, to a Jew during davening, during prayer, is in order to repair and elevate the divine holy sparks that exist in those thoughts. But one has to know how to lift them up and how to bring them back to their own source. Let's say somebody is in the middle of davening. He's trying to do shmau, any part of davening, and suddenly he experiences thoughts that are connected to znus, immoral relationships in any manifestation. Any manifestation. This could be very, very intense. Not so intense. It could be a particular person. It could be the concept. But these are the thoughts that he deals with. Yovin, he should understand. The first thing a person has to understand is, God is here too. What do you mean God is here too? This is immoral. This is distracting. This is not what I want to become, and this is not what I should become. If I follow actually these thoughts at face value, what's going to be the end of it? I'll destroy my life, I'll destroy my family life, I'll destroy my relationships, I'm going to end up getting... Whatever it is, everyone knows these struggles that they have on their level. That's why he keeps on saying, That's true. But you should understand that ultimately all love, all connections, even that which at face value are immoral, they have a source. Everything comes from a source. The source is God's love. What's called chesed elyon, which means chesed, kevayachel in Hashem. What we call midas hachesed, sviras hachesed, Hashem's attribute of chesed. But it fell from its source. It came down, me'ila lesata, from higher to lower, and it comes in a very brute and lowly and sometimes debased form. But that is the way it's expressed. What is the energy? What is the spark here? The spark here is the emotion of love. If I could put it a little bit in different words, a little bit in different words, because really what is so fascinating about this entire discussion is 
that you have to remember that these ideas were being discussed in, simply chronologically to understand, in the 1700s. The Baal Shem Tov was born in 1698, and he was teaching his students in the 1730s, 40s, 50s, until he passed away, Shvuas Tov Kof Chaf, 1760. And all the Sfarim that discuss it are the next few decades, which are the 1700s. This is before there's a branch of wisdom known as psychology. Today, psychology is a major industry. Then, psychology was a branch of philosophy. Part of philosophy was, as a tough philosophy, understanding how people's crazy brains work. And then they weren't considered as crazy as today. People were considered rational. Today, a major discussion in all branch, in many branches of psychology is, that when a person has an emotion, when a person has an instinct, when a person has a crush, when a person is attracted to something very heavily or repulsed by something very heavily, there's two ways of looking at it. There's taking it at face value. I hate you. You're getting me angry. I wish you were dead. You're the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life. Your face makes me sick and I want to vomit. Because I see you. What you said, you're the worst, you're the most narcissistic, horrible person in the world. Or I'm crazy about this person, I have this crush about it. All day, 24 hours a day, I'm just thinking about this person. You could take it at face value, and it is what it is, and it's a pretty, it's pretty annoying. And sometimes people suffer terribly for years from all these types of things with anxiety or emotional attachments that are unhealthy, codependent attachments, crushes, etc., sexual stuff, v'chuli. What the Baal Shem Tov is suggesting here is, what today is common language among um, uh, um, experts and professionals in this field is, you have to be able, huh? you have to be able to distinguish between the outer shell of the egg. You have to be able to distinguish between the shell and the chick. You have to be able to distinguish between what is really playing itself out in the human heart, in the human soul, in the human psyche right now, and what it's presenting itself. I may have a need that's very genuine, that's very beautiful, and that need was never met. And I become connected with this reality because for me, this reality is going to fill that void, is going to fill that need. Really, it won't fill that void. Huh? It's really a trigger. So basically what happens is, I can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I was recently, not so recently, but I was, uh, I was uh, not long ago speaking in uh, Boca Raton. There is a major, uh, it's called Jewish Recovery Center. And generally a lot of recovery institutions are there. Addicts go there sometimes for months, or years of rehabilitation, and so forth. So... Um, um, I was speaking, I was giving a lecture there. So there were a few hundred people and all of them in active recovery, some of them for 25 years, some of them for six months, and some of them still thinking if they should go into recovery. So I spoke about the fact that in life we sometimes have a terrible craving that we know is destructive. It could be to alcohol, I got to go drink now, I got to go gamble now, I got to go to certain websites now, I have to go to certain, wherever I have to go, it's a terrible, terrible craving. And I know what it did to me in the past if I follow it. And I said that you cannot always get rid of it. Sometimes your whole life you struggle with certain cravings. What you have to do in life is you have to be able to identify it and, and quarantine it. 
Identify it means, identify that this is coming from a place in you that has a lot of challenges and needs and you don't want to embrace it. This is not your essence. And then you could quarantine it. You could say, okay, this is where you belong and that's fine and then you're good to go. So a woman raised her hand and she says, I disagree. And the reason I disagree is because you are being very superficial. I said, what do you mean? In the questions and answer period. I say, what do you mean? She says, you're not getting to the core of it. Every addiction in the world is really containing a deep love. A person really has a lot of love, a lot of love to give. It's just that their capacity for love was injured. And therefore, they can't express their love in healthy ways, towards healthy people, in healthy situations with healthy boundaries. They don't know how to express it. So therefore, the way their love is being expressed could be in dysfunctional and destructive ways. But you should see it as very, very pure. Very, very pure love. Was she right or was she wrong? What do you think? The answer is, of course she's right. That's exactly what the Baal Shem Tov said hundreds of years ago. Every thought, every instinct, every emotion has God in it. What does it mean it has God in it? It means it has good in it. It has meaning in it. It has purpose in it. Whereas the Degel Machin Ephraim puts it, this machshava of znus, which is immoral. We're not talking about a moral machshava. Where did it ultimately come from? It's ultimately, it fell. It's like a breakdown. It had a traumatic fall from its source, which is really divine love in me too. But how do I recognize it? What do I see it? I see it as a crush or an instinct or an addiction or a craving to connect with something that will not nurture my capacity to love. It can't nurture my capacity to love. The only one, what is really the definition of addiction? The definition of addiction is when I look to something or somebody to fill a void in my life that only God could fill. fill. That's the ultimate definition. Whether it's food or it's gambling, whether it's this or that, it's a void I have. The only one who could fill it is my own soul and my own God. And I look to you or to him or to that in order to fill the void. And what happens is it never gets filled. So I need more and more, and more, and more, and more, and usually I have to hire the dosages, whatever the dosage may be, with drugs or alcohol, etc. Why? Because the void is just getting stronger. And as Rabbi Tversky once told me, he said, from 50 years working with addicts, I know it's the most sensitive spiritual people that fall prey to addiction, because they don't have tough skin. They're more sensitive, and therefore their needs, their spiritual needs are deeper. They need God even more. And the the sadness that they don't have it is much more acute, and therefore the intensity of the addiction becomes far more powerful. So I could look at it in two ways. On a surface level, you're dealing with a junkie, chals v'shalem, dealing with junk. On a deeper level, you're dealing with a spiritual soul who's really searching for something genuine. If a child never felt validation in their life, never felt embraced and loved, their whole life they're looking for people to approve them. They look in ridiculous places for approval. I could look and say, what are you doing? Throw it away. They can't throw it away because it's a genuine, it's, they, 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 need, they, need, they need real acceptance. They need to feel that they have tremendous value. They never felt it. And therefore they need attention here. They need validation here. They have to do things here in order to get approval from somebody. 
So the levush of it, the external craving, is what we call klippa. But what does klippa mean? Klippa means it's a shell. Inside the shell, there's a fruit, there's a chick, there's God, there's spirituality, there's a genuine yearning. I just don't have the outlet. I don't even know the outlet. So the Degel Machina Ephraim says, I am having this thought, one second. This thought wasn't born in a vacuum. This thought, ultimately, this emotion that I'm looking for in this experience, which is immoral, he calls it znus. That's a promiscuous, immoral relationship. Whatever that translates in people's lives. What is it really? I need chesed elyon. I need real love. I need real connections. I'm searching for something. And I don't have it. So suddenly this person becomes the, the poster boy or the poster girl or the target where I think I'm going to fill it. And you know what? For 10 minutes I will. Maybe a day, maybe a week. If you're lucky, maybe two weeks. But then it moves on because you didn't fill the void. Because you didn't find that which is going to fill your void. You're just either distracting yourself or you're connecting to something that can mask it or fill it temporarily. So therefore, he says, what's the Eitzah? The Baal Shem Tev said, there's something called halos machshav azaras. Halos hanitzutzin. Find a spark, find a chick, don't kill the chick. Don't smash the egg and kill the chick. <laughs> Rescue the chick from the egg. Rescue the nitzutz from the machshav Rescue the godliness of it. And actually, what happens now is, you rescue the spark in the Machshav and you repair yourself. Because you find, what are you really, really searching for? And the Baal Shem Tev said, there's no Machshav 24 hours a day that doesn't have a soul. Imagine, every Machshav. Why do I have these thoughts and you have these thoughts? The Taldis Yaakov Yosef writes over there that the proof the Baal Shem Tev brought to this is that every davening has different Machshav why don't we ever stay with the same Machshav Azaras? He said, because every day there's new invitations. I peel this layer, another layer. Why do I walk around with these thoughts? You walk around with other thoughts. And the answer is, 24 hours thoughts come in. But every thought is a koimashlema. Every thought is either a trigger. It's either telling me I'm bad, I'm horrible, I'm guilty, I have to be scared. Whatever it is. I need this, I want this, I'm upset about this. You could look at it and say, leave me alone. Or, what can you see? You could look and see less asar ponamine. There's a tikkun here for me. There's a tikkun here for the machshava. And this is true in every single thought that a person experiences throughout the day. But this requires a tremendous amount of mindfulness. A tremendous amount of wholesome mindfulness. What am I experiencing when you talk to me? What am I experiencing when I'm davening? What am I experiencing when I'm learning, when I'm walking, when I'm emailing, or when I'm just sitting on the couch? Let's see further the Degel Machnefrayim. What if it's not znus? It's fear. I'm afraid. I'm anxious. I'm terrified. That's a big one. Now, what you need is, your yira has been distorted. My sense of awe, my sense of reverence, my sense of boundaries have been distorted. Let me connect myself to the yira, to the source of all yira. There's healthy fear, there's unhealthy fear. There's healthy reverence, there's unhealthy reverence. Let me use this as a trigger to embrace my Yiris Hashem Yiri Ilah. 
Next, I start bragging about myself. I start having pity about myself. You know people, they start imagining their own funerals. Anybody here? You start thinking about your own funeral, why? You, 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 you need somebody to feel bad for you. There's nobody giving you tender loving care. If you imagine your own Levaya, you see your wife crying, your kids crying, your eight o'clock crying, people saying, oh, yo, 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 we should have done this, we should have done this. And that way, it's a funny way of self-nurture. <laughs> this is how people are, right? So what do you need? You need, you never got the attention you need in life, basically. So you need to connect to God's Tiferes which is your soul's inner beauty. And then you don't have to start. Somebody once told me that the way he feels all of his emotions is, he watches movies, and that's how he vicariously lives. He cries with the love, and he cries all the... Not as long as it's not him. And it's true with a lot of men I know. They, all of their emotions come out. They watch certain videos or films, whatever it is, and all their emotions suddenly... In their own lives, they'll never emote. Because <laughs> they're macho. But with other lives, fictional lives, people do it with books, with novels. They start weeping and crying. They read magazine articles. Event, event. He'll never cry for a real person or a real story. But that's a nice way of somehow getting your emotions going and stimulating and filling voids, but not dealing with it. So the Degel Machin Ephraim says, you really have to find the source of what you're searching for. This machshava has in it a message. And it really has something very genuine that you're looking for. But you need to connect it. It's not about this person. It's not about this anxiety. It's about your own relationship with yourself and with God. All boasting. All self-aggrandizement. What am I looking for? I don't have a dosage of Tiferes. You know, you go to the nutritionist, you need vitamin C, you need vitamin B, you need this. You don't have, your blood needs this. Mentally also, people need nutrition, they need the nutrients to make them know. That's why the soul has all of the qualities that mirror the divine qualities. There's chesed, there's gvurid, there's tiferes, there's netzach, there's hoit. Says the degel, you're davening, you're having all these machshavas, this all he heard from Ezeide, he's quoting Ezeide. This is what happened with Moshe. The sna is a bush filled with thorns. What are thorns? They sting you, they prick you. So the Pasuk says, basically scorched, burnt thorns. And this is a metaphor to all alien and negative and promiscuous and immoral and depressing thoughts. Moshe was davening, that's what he was doing. And that's why there was a fire. He was bihislavus. He was davening with passion, with fire. And suddenly, he sees in the middle of the fire, a bunch of alien machshavas. You're in the middle of, You're in the middle of, and suddenly, whoop, 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 whoop. this is triggers, that's triggered, suddenly you're not thinking, you're thinking about something else. And again, the machshavas could be endless. They come in endless manifestations, but the common denominator is you're not focused and mindful on the davening. What's Moshe's solution? Asurana. 
Let me move away all the stress, which it says in Shulchan Aruch, right before davening, move away all the machshavas of tirdus, and let me get into davening. That's what I'll do. A surah now, I'll move away the thoughts. I'm going to try to understand, why doesn't the snap burn? What's his question? Moshe doesn't understand. I am burning with fire. Why can't the fire of davening obliterate, exterminate, eliminate, and literally consume all the machshavazaras? He says, the breath of his holy mouth, his tremendous dveikas and intimacy with Hashem. We're talking with Moshe Rabbeinu. The snare really can't get burnt up. I have to constantly deal with thorns that prick me, with thoughts, emotions, instincts, habits that derail me from my path. Madua, why? Vayar Hashem kisar liris. The story continues. Hashem sees that Moshe came to see. Hashem saw that he wants to know, he revealed himself from where? From the Machshav Zoris, he experienced a gilui, a revelation of the Rabbi Nishalayla. He taught him a secret. What's the secret? Take away, remove the ra of those thoughts. Bring them back to their own source. Reveal their goodness. You're not as bad as you think. You're standing on holy soil, Hainu. Shebeemes ata oimed al mokem kodesh, umadrege kodesh, utfilos kodesh. You're standing in a holy place. Your davening is holy. Your level is holy. Umashabayim lucha machshavazor is bemtzat fila. Ah, you're having all of these distracting thoughts. Hashem says, Anoichi alekei avicha. Loshen taiva. Avicha means craving. Kamoiva avisa tehila. You crave Tehillah, the, the praise. Ava, like it says by Bilam. Ava Hashem Bilam. Ava means desire. Avicha means your father means your desire. Anoichia I am the God in your desires, in your taivas, in your machshavas. There's a godliness in those cravings and thoughts. Holy sparks, which fell down from their divine source. They're craving that you should repair them and sublimate them to their source. That's why they pushed themselves into you during your avoida. Here there's many levels. Hashem continues. 
There's the God of Avram, those are the God, that's the God that's in Machshav Azorus, Taivus of Avram of Av. And the godliness in those taivas wants to go back to its source. There are all the thoughts and cravings and anxiety that comes from the level of Yitzchak, which is fear, and it's really, they want to go back to the God of Yitzchak, which is Gvura. From Tiferes comes all self-boasting, self-pity, self-compassion, and really, those thoughts are really looking to what? To go back to Tiferes, They're not here to nullify you, to destroy you. Tefillah, the Degel Machen Ephraim says, understand. So Moshe is the Jew who's davening, who's learning, who's serving Hashem. And suddenly the fire is there, the inspiration is there. He started, with a geschmack, or whatever the Nusach Moshe daven. Maybe daven Nusach Ashkenaz, I'm not sure. I don't want to get into local politics. So Moshe is davening very stark. And there's a fire burning and suddenly a bunch of thorns everywhere. <laughs> a bunch of thorns. He says, Let me get closer. Let me get more into davening. It doesn't make sense. The fire is real. Why do the tithes not stop? Why do, why do I never liberate myself from it? What's the proper approach? So some people say this is proof that my davening was worthless. It was a joke. It was a hallucination. It was a spiritual delusion. Sober up and get back to reality. Huh? And repeat Shema or quit. That's what a lot of people do. They just quit. This is not for me. I'm not going to be a hypocrite for the rest of my life. But one approach is I'll fake it. That's not Moshe's approach. I'll fake it. I'll close my eyes. Even, you know, when people start shaking very, very hard, you know, sometimes it's dangerous. <laughs> or they close their eyes. It could look good. But deep down, sometimes we do it because we're so frustrated or we're, 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 we're just annoyed or we're just faking it or we just want to fit in. So obviously that's not a solution that works for real people, for healthy people, for mature people, for deep people to live your whole life in a mask and call that religion. That's one of the great tragedies. Another approach is, another approach is, a person says, you know what, I'll be honest, you quit, boom. The Degel Mach and Ephraim says, the Rebbeinu Shalom tells Moshe, the first thing I want you to know is, Take your shoes off your feet because you're standing on holy soil. Don't think that you are unholy, immoral, horrible, hopeless, sick to the core, detached, alienated. He says, your mokim is Kaddish, your madrege is Kaddish, and your tefillah is Kaddish. That's number one. The reason you're experiencing is not because you're not in a relationship with me, it's because you are in a relationship with me. And part of that relationship is that is all different types of thoughts and instincts and emotions and cravings that are there to repair you and help you find yourself and they themselves want to be repaired and that's the relationship. And that's why it says, From the sna itself. And what are his words? I am the God in every taiva. In every taiva I'm there. In every machshava I'm there. I am there. How? Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. They're the thoughts and taivas that come from Chesed, from Gvurah, from Tiferes. Now they went through a transformation, they went through a nefila, they went through what we call today a breakdown. And therefore they don't express themselves based on what they really are. They invite you 
maybe to engage in things that are alien to your relationship with God. But that's the outer shell. It's not the inner core. It's part of me to help you ultimately implement and find your ultimate expression and healing during the davening. Tomorrow, you may have this again with different thoughts and different cravings. So the Degel Machen Ephraim sees this word from the Baal Shem Tov as the story of the snail, or as the Baal Toldus puts it, why are you saying Shema again? The thought itself is trying to fix you. Go and see God there. The fact that you think you didn't have Kavana, what do you mean you didn't have Kavana? That itself is the greatest Kavana? That itself is the greatest Kavana that you didn't have Kavana? That too has a wholesomeness to it. Only if you could see it. I want to show you a word from the Moirenayim, who was Reb Nachum Chernobyler, a student of the Baal Shem Tev and the Magad of Mizrich, passed away Tovkuf Nun Ches, 1797, Yeral of Cheshvan, wrote a sefer called Moirenayim, says the Moirenayim, Parshas Bereshis, to Muz di Yoikner Shaliakov Aviv, you know the story, Yosef HaTzadik is stuck in Potiphar's home, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him, she tries to seduce him day in and day out. The Gemara says in Yuma Lamed Hey, every meal she changed her, her, her wardrobe. Godem Shalov Shashachris, Lelov Sha'arvis. She kept on changing her wardrobe and she tried to entice Yosef into the relationship. Shich ve'imi, lie with me. And the Pesach says, And that's when she invited Yosef at She grabs him and she says, lay with me. He runs out, he goes outside. So in Gemara and Saita, if Yosef actually succumbed to her, he didn't succumb to her, Rashi quotes that opinion. Yosef succumbed to her and the last moment what happens, he saw the image of Yaakov, his father, in the window. And that's when he vayonos vayetze hachutza. So the Moir Enayim brings from his Rebbe the Magad of Mizrich. Poitifer's wife was beautiful. There's no question about that. And that's why she had a tremendous sway over Yosef. And it wasn't just outer beauty, it was also inner beauty. She had a great soul. She had a gigantic personality. And it was very powerful for Yosef. So what did he do? Says the Moir Enayim, Yosef hibit al shoyrish hayoyfi ayin ba ki ikir hayoyfi yu elekuz vizel dmuzdi yoykne shal Yaakov aviv Yaakov tif eres. What did he do with Poitifar's wife? He asked himself, what am I looking for? What I'm looking for is true beauty. The source of all beauty of all splendor, of all harmony, of all symmetry is divine Tiferes. So why am I going to settle for a compromised, diminished, restricted, fallen form of Tiferes? He aligned his craving with his Yaakov, his father. Yaakov is the attribute of Tiferes. says the Magid. He ran out and he went he ran and he aligned it. He went out from the chitzonius of the Tiferes and he uplifted it to the heavenly Tiferes. So he didn't reject himself or his thoughts. He aligned it. He sublimated it. He elevated it. That was a whole different experience that he did. The Moira Nayim says in Parshas Vayishlach, and it says in other svarim, the, the Gemara says in Yuma, Habala Tayr Messiah Loy, Habala Tomei Somebody comes to purify himself, 
they help him. If somebody comes to contaminate himself, they open up the doors for him. So you see somebody comes to purify himself during davening and he's not helped. He has a bunch of thoughts. So they say from the Baal Shem Tev, no, that's also Messiah in life. That's part of his avoida. And the Mariyanayim takes it even further and he says, Habalitame. When somebody comes full of a desire to become Tame Paischinlai, they open the door for him. What does it mean they open the door for him? So the Mariyanayim, Parshish Vayishlach, says something very, very daring and powerful. Paischinlai means not they open the door for him to invite him to become Tame. Paischinlai means he should know that that is his opening to God. That is your opening. When I am overtaken by a certain challenging thought or challenging craving that's inviting me to Tumah, that's the Zeh HaShar LaShem, Pischuli Shari Tzedek, This is him opening up the door for you. In other words, this very thought, this very craving is here to uplift me, to sublimate me. If I have the courage to pierce through the outer veneer and look at the Pinimius, Look at what is inside of it so I can actually be, become closer to God. There's no thought in the world that is ultimately not coming from Hashem in order to help me work something through and align myself with my true self. But for this I have to have courage to go beyond my fears, to go beyond my basic addictions, to go beyond my basic habits and to really be able to confront myself and lay myself beer naked and raw search for the ultimate truth of what it is. The first Hasidic masters explained as a Gemara in Sanhedrin. It's a fascinating Gemara. One of the greatest wicked Jews in history is Yeroven ben Avot. He created a renaissance of idolatry in his day. And the Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Gimel is one of the G'dayli Hadar, one of the greatest minds of the generation. So the Gemara says that after, after these words, the Pasuk says, and Malachim, Yeravim didn't do tshuva. What's after these things? This is Tafsa Kadesh Baruch Hu Hashem grabbed Yeravim by his cloak and he said, Chazor Bach, do tshuva. And if you do tshuva, me, you, and Ben Yisha, David Amalek, will take a stroll in Ganeid. So Yeravim says, Who goes first? Me or David Amalek? He says, David Amalek? He says, And then I don't want it. So what's that? Hashem grabbed Yeravim by his begot and he said, Chazor Bach. So the students of the Baal Shem have explained that Beged is an outer garment that we wear on our body. The word Beged comes from the word Boyged. Boyged means a traitor. Boged. You're a traitor. Why? Because that's what clothes do. They betray your true identity. I could be a multi-billionaire and I'm dressed like a schlep. Everybody thinks I'm a schlep. Or the other way around. It's been a kapsin, ben kapsin, ben kapsin, but I put on a nice tuxedo with a bolter with a tie. And suddenly everyone thinks I'm a respectable person. You become an investor in the company that never existed and never will exist. That's what clothes do. In fact, many people wear clothes in order to hide their own insecurities, to protect themselves, to betray themselves. The whole industry of clothing, clothing. People are sometimes obsessed with what type of clothes they wear. Why? Why? Okay, you should look like a normal person. Why are you obsessed? Because you're trying to be somebody that you're not through your clothes. Beged is beged. Zakt. Say the Talmudia of Hashem Tev. Tafsay HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yiravam Hashem grabbed Yeravim by his beged. Yeravim, all you know is your beged. You're looking at your outer beged that's betraying you. And you see all these thoughts and tithes. But I want to tell you, your beged itself, Chazar Bach. 
If you will see the pnimius, the inside of all your thoughts, of all your machshavas, of all your taivas, it's telling you chazor bach. The space that you're standing on is sacred soil, it's holy soil. There's divinity there, there's holiness there. You have to excavate your begot and be able to, be able to extract it. That's what? Poitifar's wife did. So what did he do? He saw the Muzdi Yoikner He didn't look at the Beged as something detached from its source. He saw it as a chitzainius, as an egg that contains a chick. And that's why he escaped the incarnation of the Taiva in Poitifar's wife. And he connected it to the source of the Taiva. However, when we are discussing this concept, I think, I think it's extremely important to give one major qualification. The qualification came from one of the great Talmidim of the Magad of Mizrich, the Bala Tanya, in his book of Tanya, Perik Chavches. And he suddenly uses language uncharacteristic to him really uncharacteristic to him, in this issue. And the reason he does so, I assume is, because he understood how this can be seriously misconstrued. Take a look at his language. Tanya Perich of Ches. If somebody is having all of these cravings and other machshavas during avoid during davening or learning with kavana, al Don't become preoccupied. Just divert your minds from it and move on. Here he goes. Vegam al He shouldn't be a fool and start engaging in the sublimation. Of the Midas, of the Machshava Zaris. Kinoida, what's Kinoida? As is known to all those who know the Hasidic works. That is an avoid to elevate the Midas of the Machshava Zaris that the Baal Shem Tev himself taught. Why? These words were said for Tzadikim. They don't experience their own Machshava Zaris. They experience other people's Machshava Zaris. But if somebody is having these thoughts from his own demons and skeletons, from his own negativity or immorality in the left ventricle of his heart, how in the world is he going to sublimate these cravings and thoughts, which could be sublimated, but he himself is not in the position because he himself is still bogged down. The shackles are holding him down. How can he uplift it? Who's going to uplift it? In order to uplift it, you have to be in a more elevated state, and you can uplift it, but you yourself are bagged down by these thoughts. So therefore, you're going to try to uplift it. You yourself are there in the abyss. What's going to happen simply is you're going to become more um, rec- um, entangled in them, and therefore your job is to move them away. But still, don't get depressed during your avoid, which has to be joyous. 
You should even have more kavana with more joy. What's the joy? You should think, This machshavazara came from your shell, from your animal soul, which is making a war with your godly soul. Here he gives a metaphor from martial arts, from arm wrestles, from, from people who wrestle. He says, When one guy, when two guys, you know, you're having a, you're having a wrestling match or an arm wrestle, so you're going this way, you're going that way. But when one guy starts prevailing, and he almost gets you down, so what happens? So the second one, your opponent, musters all of his strength that he didn't muster earlier in order to defeat you. So when the godly soul is trying to daven, so then the opposite side, his shell, wants to destroy it. Don't make the mistake of the world. Not like the world thinks that if you would have davened well, you would have never had machshavazaris. The fact that you have all these thoughts means your davening is a failure, which was the question that the Degel Machene Ephraim asked about Moshe. If the fire is real, why is there a sneh? So the Degel Machne Ephraim's answer was why? Because the Machshav Azaris also come from Gdusha. The Balatanya's answer is, They would have been right. If it was one soul davening, and one soul experiencing all of the alien thoughts, it means one is not genuine. Because if I'm here, how can I be here? But really, we don't have one soul, we have two souls. We operate on two levels of consciousness, and they're always fighting with each other in the mind of a person. Each one wants to dominate him fully and wants the brain to be completely overwhelmed and consciously filled with this one. And therefore... The fact that you're having so many cravings of Machshav Azaris is not proof of your failure. It's proof of your success. It's proof that you're really giving it all you got and therefore your opponent feels that he may lose the war. So he takes every ounce of energy that's left and he's going to bring you every possible thought in the world and every possible craving in the world in order to defeat you. Now here we have something strange. The Baal Shem Tev taught something. The Magad of Mizrich taught something. Most of the students of the Baal Shem Tev taught something. And here the Balatanya says, Al shaita. This path, if you do it, you're a shaita. This was set for tzaddikim. Don't even get close to it. And he gives a whole other way of dealing with it. It means don't sublimate it. Don't engage it. Don't try to find a spark. All you have to say is, there's a klipa in me. There's a shell in me. There's an, a beastly soul in me that's part of me. And I'm not going to let it win. It's there. I'm, like I said before, I'm going to identify it, I'm going to quarantine it, and it doesn't mean I'm a failure, it means I'm a fighter. I'm not a failure, I'm a fighter. And all of life, I may be a fighter, I may not be a winner, but I'll never be a failure. I'm, I'm, on a ba- I'm, on, I'm in the ring, and I'm boxing. And I box every day. And sometimes I get bruised, but I get back into the battle, and I continue boxing. That's his approach. The challenging element here is, in his own discourses, there's a sefer called Maimar Admur Azokin Aktsarim, he brings the other idea of being Milo the Machshav Azaris. In Igeris HaKodesh, Simen Chof Hei, which is a part of Tanya, he discusses the fact that when a person is davening, 
and somebody is disturbing him from davening, standing and disturbing him from davening, whether it's somebody outside, and it could be also somebody inside, he gives a whole meditation of how the Shekhinah, ultimately the divine energy, is in exile in that particular reality or person, fueling that distraction in order to motivate and inspire the person. The truth is that you don't have to go from the Balsamtiv to the Tanya. The first piece of the Toldus Yaakov Yosef that we learned already gave us the answer. You remember what the Balsamtiv said? There's one condition. If when the Machshava comes in, I right away have a Machshava of how to fix it, to counterbalance it. Then embrace it. If not, he says, then you have to kill the chick. Then you have to be at Matchawai, Habal Hargach, Hashkab Lahargach. Essentially, the Tanya, I believe, is qualifying that I'm explaining it. And let's understand. Let's understand. In order to be able to engage in the process of the Balshemtiv that we're discussing, a person must be in a position where they are capable of engaging in this process. give an example, I don't know if it's uh, too of an extreme example, but I think we'll get it, you know, today we need practical visualizations. Somebody comes to a therapist, why? He's having lots of issues in his relationships, with his wife, maybe with his siblings, with his children, with his parents, with himself, of course, his co-workers, whoever it is, maybe all of them together, one big challenge, and this person really, really needs help to understand their emotions, their guilt, their frustration, their bitterness, their confusion. The therapist, the Yisoyed HaYisoyed is, the first thing is that the therapist is objective. He doesn't even know who this person is, doesn't even know his parents, doesn't know his spouses, and he could try to look at it from a very objective place and see what is, try to help you see what is happening in yourself. What are you looking for? What are you getting annoyed by? Maybe do some psychoanalysis and figure out where it's coming from. Take different, whatever the approach is. I'm not getting into the approach. There's so many different types of approaches today. Some more effective, some less effective. And that itself is under uh, great debate. But whatever his approach is. But what happens, imagine, if this therapist suddenly feels a tremendous emotional attraction to this person, a man or a woman, what happens if this therapist becomes emotionally entangled, wants this patient to keep on coming back for 10, 20 years, and wants him not to come once a week or her to come once a week, but to come six times a week, right? Now I ask you a question. Are they in a position where they're capable of actually making sense of their emotion and helping them get out of it? What do you think? No. Completely not. Why not? Why not? And the answer is because they're part of the problem. They're completely engulfed and entangled by the problem. So they cannot anymore trace back the emotion to its original, pure, pristine motives or to the terminology of Hasidus to find the leisasar ponuimine in it, to find the divine source, because he himself is completely entangled. In other words, he has his own emotional web. He hasn't found yet his own source. The therapist is the patient. He's not a therapist, he's a patient. 
It's one of the greatest challenges in education and treating people. When the treater needs to be treated. Sometimes a father is trying to educate his children. There's only one problem. The father is the child. If the father is the child, how can he educate his children? He himself needs the nurture. He himself is the child. Let me give you an illustration of a story I once saw. There was a museum, an art museum. Listen to this. And it had a huge piece of art created by a tremendous, extraordinary, splendid artist. It was a picture of a dog barking. But the artist was a true professional artist. So when he took that picture, when he made, when he depicted on canvas the vision of a dog barking, it was real. It was really real. And you know what happened? It was so real that when people came in to that gallery, to that room, and they saw it, you know what their response was? They ran away. (laughs) They ran away. It was so real that it was real. It had an impression of being real, and they ran away. Because it really felt like there was a dog about to jump on them and devour them. One of those big, you know, German shepherds. It took a true artist who understood art to be able to walk in, to look at the painting, stop and smile and say, wow, what a piece of art. We all have German shepherds barking in us. Is it art or is it real? That's the question. Is it art or is it real? The Baal Shem Tev teaches it's really art. It's really art. It's really beautiful. It's really romantic. All those barks in you really contain very powerful, deep, spiritual, sensitive messages there to help you find yourself and your relationship with Hashem, your own dvekas. But most of us, we just see the bark. We just hear the bark and we see the teeth and we're like, whoa! The artist could look and say, wow, this is a piece of art. So the Balatanya, who they used to call the Litvak, is being very practical with the teaching of the Baal Shem Tov. He's saying, you're davening, you're learning, or whatever you're doing in the day in Avaidus Hashem. But even you're davening and learning, which is a very spiritual moment, and you're overtaken by a barking German shepherd. All these thoughts. If you're going to stop and say, you know what? <laughs> this woman, this person, this experience, he says, what's going to happen? What can happen is, as the Baal Shem Tev put it himself, he's coming to kill you. The fact that I engage it, I embrace it, this, I am not in a position where I'm capable of standing back and looking at it and seeing the divine art. What do I have to do? I have to run away. <laughs> That's what I have to do. I have to tell myself there's a struggle in me and these thoughts got to go now. I'm sorry. You are who you are. But what God wants for me right now is to say, I'm an incomplete person. I'm not a wholesome person. I am going to identify, this comes from my clipper. This is not going to define my life. I'm going to continue davening. It may come back again, again and again. And this is what I have to do. And it doesn't mean I'm a failure. That's very important. He says, have more kavana with more simcha. It means I'm a success story. Success in Avodah Hashem doesn't mean 
I'm cleansed from every anxious, depressing, immoral, negative thought in the world. That's not, for, that's not the case for most people. It means there's a wrestling match, and on the contrary, because I'm having a real davening, therefore I'm having real opposition. People who don't do anything don't have opposition. I'm winning the wrestling match. You want to kill me now. If I wouldn't be winning, if I would just be standing like this, you don't care. I almost have you down. You muster all your strength and suddenly, whoa, this guy is powerful. That's the point. Don't give up now. Give it more power. That's his approach. The tzaddik who's davening suddenly has a machshav zara. It's not his own entanglement. The tzaddik is sensitive to everybody else's machshav zaras. And he gets them all day. He experiences them. That's why he says, Hashamnu bagatnu and so forth, even if he doesn't have any sins. That's what Arizal says. Because Klal Yisrael is one. So he's in the position of actually seeing the barking dog as art, as divine art. He could sublimate it. But when I'm in it, and I'm part of it, I have to be very careful. But here is the key. What if it's after davening? And I don't have this machshav anymore. But now I could look back and study it. Here the Balatanya would not have an issue with it. His issue is, when you're overtaken by a strong craving, and you're involved in it, in other words, your opponent is right here, and if you start hugging him and kissing him, and saying you're my best friend, because really you're holy and godly, if this addict wants to go drink alcohol, or smoke up and do cocaine, or go on websites, or go to certain places, and you say it's really divine, the alcohol is divine, and the gambling, but you just have to go to the pnimius and, and, and elevate the machshavazah, you know what's going to happen? Huh? It's the end of it. It's the end of it. He's over. He's an addict. He's using stupid, he's using false spiritual language to justify addiction. What he has to say is, no, 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 no. The Shinavirav writes, Vayimayin has a shalshalas. Why? Because Yosef looked at her and he said, Shalshalas, Nein, Nein, Nein. <laughs> That's the shot. There's no, no, no. Now it's finished. Now I'm not running anywhere. I don't have a tremendous taiva. Can I sit back and look at the barking dog and try to see the art? I should. So that's an important distinction. In the middle of davening and learning, if I'm not a tzaddik, he says, he calls you a shaita. Why a shaita? You're not a bad guy. You're just a fool. Why are you a fool? You're a fool because your demon is manipulating you to get the best of you by using sophisticated language. You're a fool. You're a fool because it sounds like you're sophisticated and really you're being manipulated. So, when that woman, you remember what I told you, that woman by the addiction recovery conference asked that question. She said, you're misleading us because every addiction is really about love. Don't just say it's bad. I told her, it could be you're in that position, I don't know. If you're in that space, you're right. But most of us have to be very careful because there's two stages in life. In Tanya's language, one is called a skafia, one is called a shapcha. Subjugation, transformation. Transformation means I could transform the machshav I can elevate it, I can sublimate it, I could do the tikkun of it. I could bring it back to its source. That's awesome. But you have to be in that position. If you're not in that position, what you need is called iskafia. You have to be koi for yourself. Right? Like the Gemara says, koi for You have to say, I want it, but I'm not. 
Not that it's really holy and it's really good and I'm going to find that it's really divine and it's going to bring me to a higher place. I'm just not in that space. In the future, maybe in two hours or maybe tomorrow, when it relaxes, you could go back to the museum and say, oh, you're really part of a museum. So let's see what we can do with it. But when your wife tells you something and you're about to explode because it's triggering something very, very deep, you're not in a position right now of saying, it's really very deep and spiritual and holy and let me sublimate it. Because you're crazy. You're not you're crazy. You're just, you're in, you're in a prison. You're in a prison. Don't engage it. You just need to go do a hundred push-ups. <laughs> or whatever it is that you have to do. Don't explode. Don't scream. You'll analyze it later. You're not in a position now of analyzing the taiva. What you need to do to the taiva or the machshava zara or the emotion is, huh? Kill it. What does it mean? Kill it? By kill it, you're saving yourself. You dismiss it. And God willing, the Rebbeinu Shalom will send once again the machshava. We all know every machshava comes back a second time. In the right time, you'll be able to be at Masakin. So here we have two paths that are not mutually exclusive. One is speaking about the ideal truth. One is speaking about the practical method of achieving sobriety and healthy lifestyle. Not negating the fact that there is something to be myla. And if right now you were in an objective state, to hate. But this therapist is not capable of dealing with this patient. This therapist has to tell the patient, you are not for me. You have to go find another doctor. You're a wonderful person. If he's honest. If he wants to leave him, lead himself and the patient to a path of self-destruction. So, you do all the yoidim that this happens and it still happens. What do they call it? Uh, transference. That's more subtle language and it sometimes it happens in heavier ways and sometimes the therapist becomes the patient and the patient becomes the therapist. <laughs> the patient is suddenly doing therapy on me and I'm the patient. The therapist is and you have to be very careful when it comes to these situations and the codependents could come in here and I'm living your life and you're living my life and I'm living through whatever. Huh? Enmeshment, complete enmeshment, or in Allah it's called taruvis lach belach. <laughs> taruvis lach belach, it's not yavish biyavish. All this is how the Baal Shem Tev explains the Pasuk in Parshat Kedoshim. I didn't forget. We started a shir with chesed hu. He says, this is what the Pasuk says. Let's go back to the first Pasuk and conclude. If a person marries and has relationships with his sister, viroa servasa visiria servasa, chesed hu, it's chesed. Rashi said, it's a shame. Rashi said, Kayan married his sister. That was a kindness in the beginning of history. The Ramban said, there was supposed to be chesed. The Baal Shem Tov says, the Torah is describing the nature of the tragedy. Let's see inside. It's brought in a few places, but I chose two. Baal Shem Tov, it's brought out by Shem chesed elyon. His craving to his sister comes from a deep form of holy love, chesed elyon, God love. As divine energy comes down into this world, it goes through an evolution. Hishtalshlus means evolution. In this evolution, the love sometimes falls. What do we mean it falls? It falls means it's not recognizable. It gets distorted. Nefila physically is Something is on top, it falls, it gets disgruntled, dismantled, fragmented, broken. When I look at it, I can't see anymore the original energy, but the energy is there. Nephila means my higher state 
falls, the emotions are there, but they're distorted. So this Ahava is Niyuf, which means Znus, promiscuity. But it's Chesed. And he explains it here a little more. Somebody who's going to have relations with the Erva meaning. The forbidden relationship. Listen to his words. This is really coming from Ava. The guy is in love. He loves. He wants to give love and he needs love. Now this Ava is one of the attributes of Hashem. It's Hashem's Chesed. But he's taking this energy of Hashem's chesed, which is in him, and what is he doing it? He's expressing it in a filthy way. He's bringing it into a garbage can. He's bringing it into a sewer. The energy is pure. But the outlet of the energy, the manifestation of the energy, the way it's being expressed, the person it's being expressed with, and the method that he's using is immoral. The reason Hashem made that people fall in love with so many things and so many people is actually a method to reach Avas Hashem. It's a method to reach a deeper love of God because all real love is rooted in one source. And in order to experience real love, I need to go to that source. So I'm feeling love down here because God is very intangible. And by experiencing this love, what I ought to do is sublimate it and trace it back to the original love and saying, wow, there is such a powerful love in the world. There's such a powerful force in the world. Now let me access and align myself with the true source of love that exists in the world, which is the source of all love. And then the outlet of the love, like the source of the love, can be wholesome. When a man takes his sister, so now, he comes down here below, and he's drawn to her with this midah, he has this terrible crush. How did he not understand that this is chesed, pirush, who chesed al Really, this is an experience of chesed. This is really an experience of flow. Noivel means it's, uh, it trickles down from the chesed alien, the divine chesed. Why? The whole reason is for you to do halas hamidah. For you to be able, for you to be able to, I'll just leave it. I'm not going to be Maila every Machshav Azara here. <laughs> I tried a whole Shia to keep on picking everything up. So So I think we're just going to ignore it. <laughs> but you're a tzaddik, so you can do it. So B'Shay the Laz Laz Darton. It's going to fall again. So B'Shay Shaydei Zayyilay B'Neka Lovey Lavas Abayde Baruch A very powerful idea. How do I love God? How do I fear God? It's hard. You don't see so Hashem gives us opportunities every day to love and fear, love, 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 or fear. And the purpose is to see that as a vista, as a gate, as an opening, as a window, to be able to trace it back to Avas Hashem. To be able to say, this person is a creation of Hashem. If there is such a powerful emotion towards this person, imagine how powerful the love will be if I get to the source of the love. 
if I get to the origin of the love there, it's going to be explosive. So why am I? You're at a wedding, and there's a beautiful shmogas board, and you're starving. So imagine you go to the garbage, and you take a few bones, and you start licking the bones. Chacham! Go to the spare ribs! What are you going to the garbage? What are you going to the garbage? The answer is, I don't see the shmogas board. All I see is the garbage can, and I'm starving. Go to the shmogas board! Go to the source! That's what Yosef did. I'm not going to go to Petifa's wife. I'm going to go to Tiferes. And there you have the same thing. But you have it in an infinite way. In other words, it's far more meaningful. It's far more wholesome. It also never dries up. Because it's not a distorted way of filling your void. It's the genuine way of filling your void because you're getting to the real source of it. To the genuine source of it. This person is not going to fill your need. Or this addiction or this habit or this, or this experience. And yet, what this person did is on the contrary. So what he's doing is, he's actually taking the objective of God, the objective of God was to help him come back to Hashem, and he's completely allowing it to remain distorted, and this is the great blemish and the great tragedy. That was really a message of Hashem to pick him up to Avis Hashem. And what is he doing? He's falling prey to the external manifestation of it and causing him to actually become detached from his source. So how do you read the Pasuk? The Pasuk says, V'ish. Now I have to find the paper. <laughs> V'ish ki this is chesed. What do we mean this is chesed? Behind this act, behind this search, behind this craving, behind this yearning, desire, what we call taiva, arayas, what is it? It's actually chesed. And which chesed? There's holy chesed in it. There's divine chesed in it. The divine attribute of love is being experienced by you right now, but you don't recognize your true capacity to get love, to give love. Your love and capacity to give and get is injured. That's what a nephila means. It went through a nephila, went through a traumatic breakdown. So you're basically living in a post-trauma state of divine love. And therefore, this is what you're doing. Chesedu. What does this help you? The Torah is not just saying it's forbidden. The Torah is trying to explain also the depth of what's happening and how to deal with it. To be able to understand that you need to rediscover your own relationship with real chesed. Rather than taking this very holiness and distorting it which makes the tragedy far more powerful, and that's why the positive says, It's not just a simple punishment. You did a terrible thing, you get cut off. It's a description of the sin. What is the sin? That you're cut off from yourself. The Shalom already says, punishments in Torah are not just, you did something, I'll punish you. The punishment is the energy of what you did coming back to you. I put my finger in the stove that's on, I get burned. It's not a punishment. What I did comes back. I walk out freezing cold if it's below 20 and I walk out without a coat. I might get a cold or suffer frostbite. 
it's a punishment. I mean, perhaps it's a punishment, but it's more what you did comes back. Huh? It's a reaction to an action. So essentially, when we read Torah, it's also on that level. When you understand the nister, when you understand the depth, the punishment is essentially, it's not a punishment, I'm going to take revenge, I'm going to show you who's boss, or you did this, you get something. It's not even just cleansing. It's actually the result of what happens, which ultimately allows a person to discover what they did and cleanse themselves. So here you see it. Ki chesed hu. What happened here was, there was really chesed. If this is chesed, why is Hashem forbidding it? This is chesed. The answer of course is, they're cut off. He's cut off. She's cut off from their own source, from their own neshama, from their own real chesed. And it's expressing itself in the most blemished and distorted way. Why? Because he or she are alienated from their own chesed. And therefore, what's the solution? What's the solution? Here we have the two levels we discussed. There's a stage in life where a person just says, I quit cold turkey. I'm not analyzing. I'm not dissecting. I'm out because it's just too powerful. And I'm not in a state of analyzing at the moment. I just have to make certain decisions to get out of a toxic space where I'm just in a vicious cycle of uh, debasing myself. And then there's the deeper level where I actually have the ability to analyze, to dissect, to sublimate, and to use this very opportunity to find myself, to be misakin myself, to be mailed myself, and to be misakin and mailed the machshava zara, because ultimately, there's no space that's devoid of him. So this means in conclusion, that when a person really engages in true avodas Hashem, in the ultimate sense of the word, what we discover at the end of the day is this, that the ultimate healing of all the evil and the ultimate cleansing of all the negativity, of all the ra that's in us, how does that happen? It happens when the secret is revealed. And the secret is that really everything we felt was so horrible and so negative and so toxic and so destructive and so base, in its ultimate, ultimate sense, it will basically open the egg and reveal the chick that essentially, this is actually your holiness. This is actually your path to Hashem. This is actually your most spiritual experience. You may not be capable of feeling it right now and you have to identify it as klipa. But what does klipa mean? Klipa means it's a shell. A shell is hiding something. The egg hides the chick. The walnut shell hides the nut. Right now, I'm in a state of shells. The shells go away and I'm going to focus on my divine soul. But ultimately, in the ultimate tikkun of the person, the two are one, because what you realize is that that which you're calling yourself guilty because of it, because of all this dysfunctionality in me, or all these negative attributes in me, really, you're standing on very, very holy soil, because this very moment is an opportunity for holiness. Either it's an opportunity for holiness, because it's simply the klipa, strengthening itself to defeat you. And what you need is, be even more successful. So number one, you're in a state of holiness, you're doing well, you're not doing bad. That's why there is so much opposition. And then in a more elevated and refined state, you're doing so well, because this itself is part of your journey towards Hashem. And that is why the Torah says, 
chesed hu. Because in a very powerful way, the Torah is giving the person hope. You look at yourself and you see that you have fallen so low. You have made so many mistakes in your life, perhaps in your youth, consciously, unconsciously, willingly, inadvertently. And you ask yourself, how is it that I am capable of this? And you may come to despair. You may come to look at yourself as hopeless, as damaged goods. So the Torah says, even such a type of situation, that Rashi says, it's a shande, it's a shame. Says the Torah, chesed hu, I want you to know that what you're doing inside of it, there is really a genuine, childlike, holy, sacred, idealistic yearning. You want to give love, you want to get love, and you want real love, you want chesed. But you know what? You're expressing it in the wrong way. You're targeting it towards the wrong person. It's becoming manifested in a distorted and ultimately immoral and corrupt way. But inside of this heart, inside of this act, even though it's a negative act, it's an immoral act, you should never do it. You're not allowed to do it. There is chesed. There's an energy of genuine love. And what you need to is you need to be able to find that within yourself. And then you won't need this to trigger you and to hijack and abduct your beautiful chesed. Misusing it, misdirected, in wrong and erroneous and distorted ways. That's why the Pasuk says chesed. The pnimius, the inside, the inner core of this person's experience really is positive. But the way they are aware of it, and the way they're accessing it, and the way they're manifesting it, is in a situation, is in a way that is... uh, that is wrong, that is negative, that is immoral. So the Pasuk is talking about this itself, yeah. This is chesed. This act is an act that contains within itself chesed elyon, divine chesed, but the way it has gone through a traumatic downfall and a traumatic experience. Yeah. The word hishtalshalos, the word hishtalshalos means Evolution. A basic idea in Kabbalah and in Chassidus is that Hashem identified within Himself ten characteristics known as the ten spheroids or the ten koiches. Chachma, Bina, Das, Chesed, Gvur, Tiferes, Netzach, Yisoid, Malchus. And these are the spiritual building blocks of all of the creation and of all of the universes. Our world and the inner soul is made up of these ten building blocks, of these ten koiches. So everything in the world is really a manifestation of these ten koiches of Hashem. Chesed, or Gvura, Teferis, and Netzach. And also all of our thoughts, and our words, and our actions, and our emotions, and our feelings, and our instincts, and our inclinations are made up of these building blocks. Of Chachma, of Bina, of Das, of Chesed, of Gvura, of Teferis. So the original source of Chesed is pure, it's divine, it's holy. But this chesed can evolve until it becomes distorted and it's manifested in ways that still contain a glimmer of the original love, but it's manifested in an erroneous or sometimes even destructive way. So gilu yarayis is a form of chesed, right? Adulterous relationships, there is an attraction here. But is the attraction a healthy attraction? Is the attraction feeding your authentic self is the attraction feeding your godly self? No. 
It's destroying your godly self. But there is an element of attraction here, which is fallen chesed. It's the way Hashem's chesed and your own chesed manifests itself in a distorted fashion. So you want to bring it back to the shayrish, meaning you want to trace it back to its original source within your godly soul and within the source of everything, which is Hashem. That's the idea of, uh, that's the idea of sublimation. There's a beautiful interpretation of the Me'ah Shiloyach. The Ishbitzer Rebbe. The Rebbe of Ishbitz has a safe Me'ah Shiloyach. In Parshas Vayera, he says a very powerful interpretation. You have there the story of the destruction of Zdaim, and then Light afterwards goes and hides in a cave with his two daughters. And the famous story in Parshas Vayera, at night, the two daughters get their father drunk and inebriated, and on two nights successively, each of the daughter has relationships with her father. And they have two sons, Amain and Mayav, from this incestuous relationship. That's the story in Vayera. Right after that story, the Torah says in Vayera, Vayera, the beginning of chapter 20 of Bereshus, it says, Vayisa Misham Avram Negev. That from there, Avram traveled towards the Negev, which is towards the south. And he was living between a place called Kadesh and Shur and a place called Gerar, among the Philistines. He went down south. Now, in Kabbalah, every, every one of the different angles, directions, represents a different midah. Darim, south, is uh, chesed. And uh, Tzafain, north, represents uh, gvura. And then you have Mizrach, you have Mayriv, you have Maila, you have Mata. That's Moilech, Omevi, Maila, Omeir, that we do with the Lulav and the Esrik, the different directions. So the Kavona and Kabbalah is the different midos. Right, you do Dorim is Chesed, and then you do Tzafen if you're facing east. So you do south is Chesed, and then you do Tzafen is Gvura, and then you do uh, Mizrach is Tiferes, and then you go up is Netzach, and then you go uh, you go down is Hoid, and then you go to Mayriv, and that's Yisoid. That's the back. That's the attribute of Yisoid. So, uh, and you bring it all to your heart. You bring it all to your heart to your lave. So uh, Avram goes to Negev. He goes down south, which means to discover chesed. So the Meshiloyach says, Avram is the paradigm of love. Like we learned before, Lekei Avram, the God of Avram, the, the love of chesed, the, the godliness of chesed. But Avram Avinu wasn't only filled with love. Avram Avinu's mission and purpose in the world is to basically show the whole world that the ultimate, real, authentic, and most meaningful and enduring love is the love that we have to God and the love that God has to us. When you recognize the God within every person, then you could love every person like you love yourself because we are all part of the divine. So if I really love my true self, I really love your true self because we're really both parts of Hashem. So Avram Avinu, that's what the Tanya explains in Perik Lamed Beis, Perik Lev, the 32nd chapter. So Avram Avinu is really the person who is trying to align all love and showing that really all love originates in Avas Hashem and the love of Hashem to us and the love that we have to Hashem. And that's the deepest, deepest form of love. And that love is ultimately the source of all love. That's the shayrish of all love. And therefore all love exists in the most powerful, passionate, romantic, and profound and intense and enduring way if it's aligned with the real love, with our love, our love to God. And that's what the Baal Shem Tev taught in many places, 
that the reason God allows us to experience love and fear in this world is really because He wants to bring us closer to Himself. And this is the way we can experience Avas Hashem because my, my love to any human being is a, is a fraction, it's a glimmer, it's an expression of Avas Hashem. When Avram Avinu heard about the story of Light and his daughters, when he heard about what happened between Light and his daughters, that there was an actual relationship between Light and his daughters, so then he discovered that he never heard of such a type of thing. There is this intense crush, this intense emotion, this powerful, powerful experience that can happen between a father and daughters. This was off the charts. This was something even Avram Avinu, who was an expert on love, never heard of. He could never fathom, he could not grasp. So Avram Avinu says, Ah, we have to start over again in order to refine the love in the world, in order to sublimate the love in the world. That's why he says, Vayisa Misham Avram Artsahanegev. What's Misham? Not only geographically, from that story, from that experience, he traveled from there to the land of Negev. He started all over again to experience, to start his avoider with love because he says, ah, we have to start over to refine, to refine the love. And perhaps, perhaps you can add, based on the above, that when Avram Avinu saw such a type of emotion, which must have been so, so, so intense and so unusual and so insane, it must be, wow. The chesed here is very deep. It fell so low. There's a principle that whatever is higher falls lower. Right? Because if it's so high, the only way it can express itself when it's distorted, express itself in extreme ways. You know, the real rebellious child is sometimes the most creative child. There's so much energy when it expresses itself in a productive way, great. But when it expresses itself in a destructive way, it's dangerous. It's like nuclear energy. You know, if you have small dosages of energy and it goes the wrong way, okay. But when you have nuclear energy and there's a nuclear explosion, the disaster is catastrophic. Why? Because the power is so great. So whenever you see so much distortion in a relationship, it means there's a lot, a lot of chesed in the source that fell down very low. So Avram Avinu now has a new avoida in order to reveal that level of love in the source. He has a new, he has to recreate his own Avas Hashem. He has to give the world a new path in our love to God that can reveal the true source of this fallen love. Because if love could become so disastrous and so dysfunctional and so incestuous and so incestuous, so whatever is so high falls so low. So now I have to reveal this level of gavoya. I have to trace this type of love back to its source to be able to heal it, to be able to cleanse it, to be able to be at Maila back to its source. So therefore, Vayisa Misham, Misham Have a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.